Welcome. It is your money and reminding you right out of the gates. If you have a question, a financial question for Bruce or Peg, you can call this number 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It is one eight 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 six advice and you can always email your questions to your money at wealthenhancement.com. My name is Susie Jones. You can also call or text the studio line right now if you have been holding a question all week for Bruce or Peg, 651-461-9226. Now here is the founder of Wealth Enhancement Group and financial advisor Bruce Helmer and senior vice president and financial advisor Peg Webb. Hello to both of you. Good morning. Hello, Peg. Hello, Susie Jones. I just want to say again, uh, when you guys are not here, you are missed. Everybody tells me how much better the show is <laughs> with the two of you rather oh. than uh, me trying to go go it alone. So uh, good to be with you both again today. How's everybody doing? Well, I am better. I just wanted to tell you two that I actually ended up getting COVID two weeks ago, and I was down for the count. So nice to be back and standing up and taking nutrition. <laughs> Yeah, I I have little birds that uh, told me about that, Susie. Uh, did you have a Did you have it bad? I mean, was it really uh, impactful? Because I know so many people, myself included, that have caught it, but it was very, very the symptoms were very minor. Did you have a a bad case? Well, I had a case that I had to deal with, meaning I was feverish and chilled and achy and in bed for about four days. So I think yeah, that sounds, sounds bad it wasn't fun really Peg. it was not fun is how i like to describe it so uh, glad to be healthy and talking with you guys about our money and our financial health this morning well we're, we're glad you're better and uh, peg i'm glad you're back hey the topic today the title we call it dispelling traditional financial myths But I want to explain what we mean by that. So much financial information that people receive today, it's either misguided or maybe sometimes it's irrelevant. It's not factually inaccurate. It's just how does it matter to you? How does it impact you? How does it help you? Or oftentimes, unfortunately, it's just plain wrong. And there's a lot of things out there, I think, that people accept as fact, as technically correct, that, again, are either not correct or at least not necessarily relevant in their particular situation. And somebody says, well, why is there so much misinformation? You have to understand, including this show, by the way, I've I've said for 25 years, don't accept everything we say as gospel. Go check it out. I mean, we'll always tell you honestly what we think, but some things are not an exact science, and some things just because – we say it, you don't necessarily have to accept it. Uh, you can try to verify it. But I'm comfortable with our track record on this show that things that we say are either are either factually accurate or, or we acknowledge when something is not an exact science. So how is there so much misinformation? A lot of the information that we get, whether it's on our computer screen, whether it's reading a, a book, or a story, or watching some someone on TV, or listening to someone on the radio, like you're doing right now. What is their motivation? What are what do they ever have an ulterior motive to try to get the consuming public to take certain actions that might be good for them? So you have to question 
Where's this information coming from? And, uh, and, and again, we're going to give you some examples today, Peg. And, and, uh, and I, I'm all in favor of people being educated and doing their own homework and their own research. But every time you do that, you have to ask yourself, where did this information come from? And is there possibly you know, an ulterior motive on, <laughs> on what this information is, right? Well, Bruce, what's interesting about this is you wrote this article long ago, and it's still true today that these uh, myths that we're going to talk about today are still real prevalent, and we witness it in our practice. The second thing I wanted to mention is um, I think we know more so today than ever because of social media that we can almost kind of be brainwashed into thinking one way because over the decades, if you hear a constant message, you really believe then it's true, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So what I wanted to mention here is um, <clears throat> since the, the media does uh, lean a certain way, is this is probably one of my personal biggest pet peeves. Negativity sells. Why why negativity? Why can't it be all positive messages? Or can you not start out with positive messages? Because we as humans actually feel better when we hear all sorts of things that are rosy. And and, and, and I, I want to make sure, I want to be very clear, that they're, they're clear messages, meaning they're real. Like I don't want fictitious, hey, you know, all these positive things just to kind of change our mind or attitude for the day. But I've always been a person that believes uh, you need to read positive things or hear positive things first thing in the morning to get on the right foot. So here we are, Bruce. We, we have been in this uh, industry for decades. And Wall Street, which I'll just tell you is um, uh, an amazing place because in the early 80s, I was able to go there and go right on the floor where they traded with actual paper at that time. It was just an experience that I'll never forget. But Wall Street, you know, is really geared to have everybody in, um, participate in it, right? Because the more activity that they have, the more that the brokerage firms get people to buy stocks and trade bonds and do all this activity is it's going to benefit them. And so one of the reasons I'm so proud to work at this company, Bruce, is because, you know, your motto was always, let's educate the public, hence this radio show. And then your motto always was do the right thing and the money will come. So there's no reason to not tell the clients the pros and cons on everything, and then let, you know, let us decide together if it, if it benefits you or you want to take action. Bruce? Yeah, so, um, you know, what the, we got a couple of specific examples today of things that we still think are, are commonly accepted as truth that we would challenge a little bit. But, Peg, one of the rewarding things for me in, the, in, our, in our career in our, uh, since our inception of Wealth Enhancement Group, back when we started, there were certain things that we were saying and doing that flew in the face of mainstream thinking within the industry. 
And over the last 25, 26 years, we've seen some of those things change, and the industry has actually come to where we are now and where we've always been. Somebody smarter than me once said imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. And I see a lot of firms out there, big-name firms, household names that people know, that their messaging, their marketing, their 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 what they're what they're telling the world sounds a lot more <laughs> more like us than it did 25 years ago. Now that could just be coincidence, or it could be somebody noticed, somebody's watching. But I've definitely seen that, and that's you know that's very rewarding and very validating to have seen that happen. But there's still a number of things out there that uh, that are commonly accepted that maybe we uh, question a little bit. Yeah, so one of them is, you know, prevailing uh, financial wisdom contends that buying the top performing stocks is your key to success. So if you can pick or if you can find that needle in the haystack, you know, you're going to be just successful and you're going to be a huge winner and you don't have to bother with diversification and all of that. Now, that, that really stems to our fear and greed. I mean, our greed says, oh, if I could find, um, you know, if I could find Amazon or Tesla or some of these stocks when they were a dollar and then just took every cent that I had and put it in that one stock, then that's the secret sauce to success. Well, as we we witness all the time that that's the probability of that success is just so tiny. So what you need to do is to have an investment strategy. And I think today there's where social media and the access to information can be good in that it, it gives more stories that people can read about how difficult it is to um, buy that top performing stock, hold it forever, and then retire and live happily ever after. You just have to have an investment strategy something that you first sit down and, and maybe you have a significant other. And before you even think about buying stocks or bonds or, or that kind of thing, you need to say, what are, what are my goals and objectives? Are you one of these people that want to get rich quick? I mean, if that's your goal, then maybe you want to attempt it, but you probably will soon find out that that maybe wasn't the best goal. Um, other things is, you know, what's important to you? So are you by yourself and it's just important to get that, you know, quick um, gratification? You may frequent Las Vegas often because that's, I think, where why people go there is trying to get uh, rich quick. But, you know, your core values would be, um, you know, what do I want to do with my life? What do I need money for? You know, is it because you want to eventually retire? Is it because you want to have two homes? You like the, you know, you like summers in Minnesota and you like winters in Florida. Those are things that might be goals, but yet they're also important to you. Bruce? Peg, you said so many smart things there. Um, I, I, I want to comment on a lot of them, but I, I want to limit my time and not, you know, hijack the show. But so, yeah, with regard to investing, do people sometimes get lucky and they buy, you know, a stock at, a, at you know, like a, a, a Microsoft or whatever on the initial public offering and they make a killing on one stock? Of course it happens, obviously. But the vast, vast majority of people don't 
aren't that fortunate or aren't that smart. So the strategies that we talk about with regard to investing, diversification and, and dollar cost averaging and all these things that we talk about, they do work. And, they, and, and, and you, you have to look at your investing success over a long period of time. But I also love that you talked about what makes you tick, what are your goals and objectives. And I always say that our investment advice is driven to try to give the client success, whatever that means to them for them to achieve their goals and objectives in the lifestyle that they want and to get that return with the least amount of risk possible. Our goal is rarely, if ever, to say we want to try to get the highest rate of return we can. No, we want to get the rate of return that the client needs to achieve success. But the other thing, Peg, and we, we maybe are even guilty of this a little bit on our show, and in our communications, the world is driven by when people think personal finance, they think investments. They want to talk investing and they want to know the next hot stock or fund that's going to make them you know, a fortune. But I tell clients all the time, it's the strategies that we use that are going to be more relevant to your success. Real quick example, easy example. Almost everybody listening probably knows what a Roth IRA is. Roth IRA is a mechanism by which you can put an investment inside this structure of Roth IRA, and you don't if you if you let it stay there for at least five years or until age 59 and a half, you don't have to pay any taxes on the gain. So that's not an investment. That's a strategy that allows you to get tax-free treatment on the investment you made, whatever it was. So whatever the rate of return is on the investment gets enhanced if you don't have to pay taxes on the gain. That's a strategy, folks. A Roth is not an investment. The, 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 the stocks or the bonds or the funds or the real estate deal or the precious metals or the bank account that I put in the Roth, that's the investment, and that gives me the rate of return. But the strategy of Roth maybe avoids the taxes and supercharges that investment. So we have examples like this all the time that strategies are actually more important than the investments we make. And, and I, and I got to tell this story quick, and I know I've told it before, and I said I wouldn't hijack the show, and I did. I'll, I'll do this real quick. This is a true story that actually happened to me years ago before there was call screening, caller ID, and all these things. I got a phone call from somebody in the financial services industry trying to sell me a particular investment over the phone. And to me, this is not unlike the things that we still see today with articles or TV shows or radio shows, and they're trying to sell their consumer certain investments. So I get this pitch, and it's, it's an initial public offering for some new company, and I interrupted the person in their pitch, and I said, how do you know this is a good investment for me? He said, oh, ground floor opportunity, new technology. This is a great investment for anybody. And goes back into the pitch, and I interrupted him again, and I said, but that doesn't make any sense. That would be like me calling you up saying, hey, I'm selling 20-pound bags of dog food for 10 cents a bag. You'll never see dog food this cheap again in your life. How many bags should I put you down for? But if you don't own a dog, you don't want my dog food. So investments have to make sense for the individual. Not, not, there's not a one-size-fits-all investment out there that everybody ought to be getting. But again, prevailing wisdom is let's find that next you know, Microsoft or Amazon, and let's make a fortune and get rich quick. And very, very, very rarely does it actually work out that way. Peg? I love that example. I think that really hits home as to, um, you know, 
do you need this or do you want this or, you know, is it just greed or fear of not um, having enough money long term? The second one I was thinking of, Bruce, is the prevailing wisdom. And we we witness this all the time. And I don't know how everybody's brainwashed to believe that you need 70 percent of your working income to retire. And so to us, that's a myth because, yeah, they started out telling us decades ago that, oh, if you retire, then you don't need fancy clothes and you don't need the, the um, gas to get to work and you don't need to you know, pay for that parking spot and you don't need to go out to lunch every day, et cetera, et cetera. But the way that we look at it is, well, number one, I don't pay attention to those percentages at all. What I do and wealth enhancement advisors do, because um, we are comprehensive planners and we're really great at money management, having those two together is what I call the secret sauce. But the way that I start talking to somebody as they're interviewing me and I'm interviewing them is, you know, how much money you're working today, but um, how, how many dollars net go into your checkbook? You know, I know that you're saving in your 401k because that's another reason people say, oh, I'm not going to be saving anymore through that. Well, I say, well, how much net are you getting in your paycheck? And then they'll tell me. And then I say, well, how much of that are you spending today? Like, is there anything left over? And many, many people will say no, you know, because they feel like their savings is through their work plan. But what we then witness, and we know this because we live through all these people's lives now for decades, expenses actually go up in retirement, especially in the beginning. I mean, think about it. You've been working for decades of time, and you can't tell me that everybody listening doesn't have kind of a mental list of what they're going to do when they retire. And it might just be, I'm going to build a workshop and I'm going to, you know, build some furniture in the workshop and all these things. But any kind of dream or vision that you have usually does cost money. Um, the other thing we're witnessing and we have witnessed, and I don't think this is a change, but the media wants us to believe that things are just costing so much more today. In the job that we have, we've seen costs go up on everything for our retired people, you know, food and groceries and medical costs. Um, has been just a huge, uh, I, I would say, almost double digit for some people with prescriptions. And then I already mentioned today, people want to buy a second home and they want to travel. And so all of that is money that you hadn't spent before. The other one is, and, and this is huge, uh, when I started in the business, and I'm dating myself, but in the early 80s, we used to run the financial plans, Bruce, to 72 years old. And then we'd say, okay, if you make it till 72, you've got all this money left. Well, today we're running those same financial plans to 100 years old. So we have to, number one, model, you know, 100% of the money that you're kind of spending today because it's amazing to me how many people come in, Bruce, that, that cannot save because they've built this lifestyle, you know, around the net dollars that come in uh, with their paycheck. Yes, they're saving in their company plans, but yet we still have to provide, you know, that kind of income for them um, or they're going to be disappointed 
And I don't want them to be disappointed, especially when you've dreamed about this particular day, you know, for a long time. Bruce? Yeah, and uh, Susie, I know we're coming up soon to a break, but just to uh, piggyback on Peg's point, the 70% thing, Peg, I tell people that may be the unfortunate reality. You might be retiring on 70% of your working income, but that would never be my goal as a planner because, and again, you mentioned it, you have to look at fixed expenses that you need just to survive versus things that you want to do to enjoy this life. And if, and, and most of us, when we retire, are going to want to do things. We have a bucket list. So um, my goal for, for clients, especially if I start working with them soon enough, is to replace 100% of their working income. Um, Susie, in the second half, we're definitely going to have time to get clients involved. But, Peg, when we come back, I want you to talk a little bit about, you know, the, how often new clients that we see for the first time still have the vast majority of their money in company traditional retirement plans, pre-tax qualified plans where they got a deduction. And let's talk a little bit about our methodology of tax diversification. But we'll do all that, Susie, and get listeners involved also. All right, very good. We are going to be taking your calls during the next half hour here. It's 651-461-9226. Again, that number to call if you have a question for Bruce or Peg during the next half hour, 651-461-9226. Welcome back to the second half of Your Money. And reminding you once again, if you have a question for Peg or Bruce, you can call this number 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and that is one eight 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 six advice And you can always email your questions to yourmoneyatwealthenhancement.com. But right now, in the next 25 minutes, you can text or call right here into the studio at 651-461-9226. Once again, here is Bruce Helmer and Peg Webb. Take it away, guys. Thank you, Susie Jones. So if you're just joining us, listeners, uh, thanks for joining us. If you've uh, been with us, thanks for sticking it out. Today we're talking about dispelling some traditional financial myths. And we started by talking about why do these myths even exist. And you have to understand that the, the resource for a lot of information, the people giving that information might have a vested interest or an ulterior motive to want you to take certain actions. Not that they would lie, but but maybe they might uh, embellish a little bit. And if you repeat something often enough, loud enough, it becomes the truth and it becomes prevailing wisdom. So some of the examples we talked about, uh, we talked a little bit about um, this idea that getting the best investment is the key to success as opposed to strategies and and planning and diversification. We talked about this myth that you only need 70% of your working income to be able to retire, and we kind of concluded that might be an unfortunate reality, but it wouldn't be our goal, and we certainly think more is possible. And then, Peg, we touched on uh, the idea that I know you and I still see this. When people come in and see us for the first time, the vast majority of the time, the vast majority of their money is in pre-tax retirement plans. And I think prevailing wisdom tells people that that's what they need to do, that's what they should do, and they don't understand what we would call tax diversification. So I want you to speak to that. And then you also reminded me off air 
I had a question last week I wasn't sure I knew the answer to about how you can use an HSA. And I know if you would have been here, you knew the answer. So maybe you can bail me out and answer that question from last week as well. Peg Webb? Yeah, so invest all your money in a pre-tax retirement plan. That's uh, a long time myth. Now, I would I would say, you know, early on in my career, I did believe in, you know, why not invest money, you know, where you earn mo- you earn, you know, uh, you earn a rate of return on a hundred percent of that money, even though you know you have an IOU to the IRS. And the prevailing wisdom was. You know, if you keep the money that you would otherwise pay Uncle Sam and you allow that money just compound over decades of time, that yes, when we did the math and we did these comparisons and said, okay, 30 years later, you're going to have all this money. And even if you have to pay all your tax, you still have more money because you earn money on the money you would otherwise pay Uncle Sam. Well, then not too far along in my career, and actually it was probably when I joined Wealth Enhancement Group uh, 20 plus years ago, the, the, the idea of diversifying your tax liability, that made sense to me. I went, oh, that, let, me, let me see what that's all about. And you had already designed what we call the Your Money Matrix. And Your Money Matrix just, in my mind, it was file cabinets. Instead of having one file cabinet where you put all your retirement money in a tax-deferred account, and you weren't going to touch it for decades of time and just let it grow, you as an organization, Wealth Enhancement Group, said, well, we need a couple other file cabinets. One is tax-free money, like after-tax money. So you get paid in your paycheck and you have some extra dollars, and you go invest that. Yes, you may have some tax due based on capital gains, you know, some other kind of tax. There's some dividends and income, uh, but you're not deferring it. You're actually paying your tax in every current year. Then there was this third bucket that you introduced, and that was tax advantaged. Well, um, you know, life insurance, growth in a life insurance cash value is tax advantaged. Roth IRAs weren't actually available when I first joined Wealth Enhancer Group, but Roth IRAs became vogue in that you could put after-tax money in, but you could grow it tax-free. So the education process around diversifying your tax was a huge hit within Wealth Enhancement Group and comprehensive planning because every day we heard, defer all your money earn money on the money that you would otherwise pay Uncle Sam. And by the way, if you did the math, you probably have more money at the end. But here's the backside of it. We are financial comprehensive planners, along with being a great money management firm. We're witnessing that when people retire and they have all their money in that one file cabinet and they didn't contact us prior to retirement, they just called us, hey, I'm I'm retiring in two weeks. I need all this comprehensive planning. I need this paycheck for the rest of my life. And then we're kind of hand tied because if you need money, we only have that one resource to pull it out of. Yes, we can strategically work and not turning on Social Security and not maybe turning on your pension right away and try to get some of those dollars out of that IRA, do some Roth conversions, you know, if we have some time. But yet it's a harder job for us 
than if you would have diversified um, your tax uh, buckets, if you will, or your tax file cabinets, if you will, because that way then we can actually control what tax bracket you're in. Bruce? Yeah, and uh, um, I got more stuff, but um, Susie's telling me that we, you know listeners want to get get in, and uh, maybe I can cover some of this stuff and answering other people's questions, or if not, we can come back to it. But the other thing, Peg, I wanted to remind you the HSA question that I didn't know the answer to last week. I think you you know that one. Yeah. So the question was. Um, I was absent last week, but then you had emailed um, kind of myself and the roundtable and said you had a question about health savings accounts and can you utilize, you know, the bucket of money that you've saved in a health savings account for your Medicare premiums? And the answer is currently yes, you can use that money. It's interesting, though, that the House, not the Senate, but the House has actually proposed a bill to allow 65-year-olds to continue to be able to contribute. So right now, when you join Medicare and you're 65 years old, you have no ability to add to your health savings accounts anymore. I just mentioned that you can take the premiums that you're getting charged for Medicare out of your health savings account, but you can't contribute. So um, they're talking about doing this trade-off where, oh, yeah, if you're after 60, if you're age 65, you can continue to contribute to your health savings account. But we're going to take away the fact that you pay for your premiums out of that health savings account. So it's kind of interesting now, Bruce, when they do change a law, they always kind of give and take, give and take. So <clears throat> there's your answer. Very good. Thank you. Six five one four six one nine two two six is the number to call or text if you have a question for Bruce or Peg. This texter writes in, good morning. I am wondering if I-bonds are a good place to earn some money now and how much can you put into them? Thanks. That is Gloria calling this today from Bloomington. Thanks, Gloria. Hey, Susie, thanks, and thanks to Gloria. Peg, we are getting a ton of questions these days on I-bonds, and we've actually talked about it on the show a few times, but obviously a lot of interest. Let's go over it again for Gloria and probably a lot of other listeners as well if Gloria has the question. Yeah, so I-bonds, that is a bond issued uh, directly from the uh, um, Treasury Direct, and the I stands for inflation. So if you think about it, it's inflation bonds. Well, what the um, what the Treasury Direct has done is they issue bonds, and then once you purchase the bond, it's based on the current inflation rate. So why the popularity today? Well, we had this huge run-up in inflation, and they uh, post a rate of return for six months at a time. So from January 1st of 2022 to you know, July 1st of 2022, the rate is actually a little north of 7%. Well, that gets all sorts of people's attention, right? Because we're getting nothing in our money markets or our um, bank savings. The negative, and I do like I-bonds, the negative to them, though, is that Treasury Direct will only sell you $10,000. That's it. $10,000. $10,000. Well, that's so, a drag. <laughs> I mean, what if right. you, 
I mean, it'd be nice if you yes. could do it for less, right? I mean, if you could put 5000 into I-bonds. Well, you, you can put 5000 in. The maximum is ten, But oh. that, that drives people crazy because, you know, you got to go and open up an account in treasurydirect.com, and, you've, and then you've, and you can only buy 10000 Ah. And then, you know, you have no idea, right, what the future rate is going to be because it's based on a six-month inflation rate. The only other way that you can buy some additional um, I-bonds, and this is just crazy, I think, is that if you have a refund on your income tax, you can put 5000 of that refund in an additional bond. So, I mean, you still can't um, buy a whole lot. I've actually had clients say to me, I'm going to try to get a refund like they're almost like prepaying the government so that they get this five thousand on their tax return so that they can kind of beat the system and get this other five does it have to pay um, oh sorry i was gonna say did you have to leave it in for a certain amount of time you do you do and now they 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 don't have a huge penalty i mean they'll take away your interest if you exit early the other way that you can buy i bonds is in the open market so wealth enhancement group as part of our um you know investment strategy if you will uh we have a sleeve called in, inflation focused and there's just there's um opportunities or strategies of how you can participate if the inflation starts to run up. There's just items like commodities and, and these treasury inflation protection bonds that do well in inflationary times. Now, you wouldn't buy the actual bond, you know, the, the individual bond. You would participate in a portfolio of bonds that have already been issued. So they're on the secondary market. So you do have a way to participate in those bonds without going to Treasury Direct and buying your ten thousand, Bruce. Yeah, I, uh, you, the last thing you brought up, I, I was going to ask you to do that because I tell clients all the time we have exposure to I bonds to inflation protected bonds, and it's not the Treasury Direct thing that you might have found on your own research, but it accomplishes the same thing. So I guess, you know, my message to Gloria and other people interested in I-bonds, we like them um, and we and we have them in our diversified portfolios. But if you want to go Treasury Direct and buy some of your own as part of a broadly diversified portfolio, we would not say no. We like the idea. All right, 651-461-9226. We're taking your texts and your calls with the remaining time here on Your Money. This texter writes, do you take initial meetings by Zoom or over the phone ever? Oh, wow, what a great uh, question. So, Peg, you want to go first? Sure. Um, Well, because of the pandemic and uh, the experience that, myself, our entire firm, and I would say the entire nation, is so uh, great at doing Zoom calls or videos or even phone calls, where I have to tell you, Bruce, I really met with everybody because that's the way we did it. And I loved seeing my clients and um, and, you know, we had the video uh, ability before COVID, but we used it less. Now, the clients are actually requesting video um, phone meetings because they're witnessing how convenient it is. And I have a clients that drive five hours to come and see me for their annual review. 
And maybe they do that every other time now. Or, you know, um, if the weather's bad, we do Zoom meetings. So an initial phone call. I actually highly recommend that people, if they want to get to know us, you know, in the first meeting, they could do a video call. And then and we can answer, and I call it a two-way interview. We're interviewing you to see if you fit, you know, if you are looking for comprehensive planning and excellent money management, or what are you looking for? And then we can also tell you what can we do, what are your expectations of us? And then I like to clarify uh, whether we can do that or not. Because the last thing I want to do, Bruce, is take someone on and then disappoint them. So lots of clarity up front. Bruce? Yeah, so the the short answer is we can do it and we do do it. And, you know, maybe the silver lining in in the the global pandemic was that it accelerated a lot of this technology that already existed and we already used. And maybe it's made us more efficient. People working from home, taking meetings, phone meetings or or, or Zoom meetings or go to meeting or, or Skype, whatever it is virtual meetings, um, and I'm doing more of it than ever before, as I'm sure you are, but you were, you were kind of out front doing that with your existing clients anyway, I think, and some of that has to do with spending more time uh, not in Minnesota, which I'm going to start doing also, but you're right, Peg. A lot of my clients, especially existing clients, it's a little bit different for an introductory situation, but my existing clients that don't live close would rather just do it on the phone or virtual and not have to drive to my office and not have to do the face-to-face. Now, I'm still old school. I still like books and newspapers and albums and CDs, and I still like face-to-face. And I'll tell you why. I think there's at least, you know, again, will we do this? Will we do an intro that way? Absolutely. But I think you there's, there's communication face-to-face that's nonverbal, that's how somebody looks, how they smile, are they warm, are they genuine, are they funny. I think you can tell a lot about someone by their office. If you come to my office, you see pictures of my, my family, and, and, and I just I think that stuff matters. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe that's just my old schoolness, and, and, and most people don't care about that stuff, but I do. So at some point, I think it's good to see the environment that the advisor in to get to know them better, and I feel like I get to know people better face-to-face than I do on a Zoom call or, or a phone call, but will we do it? Yes, and we're doing it all the time, and we're doing it more and more, and it's just, it's it's arguably more efficient, more effective if you, if you can cut out the drive time. All right. Well, and the other thing, the other thing I would add just quickly is it's allowed us to not just work with people that are in our backyard. So what I'm finding is, you know, my clients, just like I, I have a couple homes and I go to the warmer weather, they all do too. And so it's so much easier to be in communication and do the video because now I have clients in all states, you know, instead of just uh, where we're headquartered in Minnesota. We have offices all over the United States at this point, but um, if the client wants to stay with my team it's easy to do that. So just want to throw that in there. Okay. We have just about three or four minutes left at 651-461-9226. This texter writes, hi, are scanned financial records acceptable 
an acceptable way to archive documents, and how many years should I save? Oh, my gosh, that's a good question. And, Peg, I'm, I'm going to ask you, if, if you don't mind going first, and then also to elaborate a little bit, again, this is another silver lining of the COVID cloud um, in terms of gathering information and communicating via the, the Internet, and, and maybe you want to talk about our client portal. Yeah, so the first thing I would say is um, where you're scanning, scanning and putting your documents is very important, right, that you have all the cement walls around those documents that no one can penetrate and get uh, that information. So I'm fine with scanning as long as it is in a safe, you know, cement walled um, holding tank, if you will, in the computer. And then... Um, Conventional wisdom kind of there's the, the IRS doesn't say you have to hold this for. Well, the conventional wisdom is seven years. But let me tell you, we had a circumstance where clients put money into a Roth IRA, you know, for decades of time. And then they got challenged because guess what? They didn't really qualify to put those in the Roth IRAs. And this is before they came to Wealth Enhancement Group. So we discovered Oh, you can't you couldn't have put all that in. Well, actually, by putting money in a Roth, it's fraud if you weren't eligible and they can go back. The IRS can go back forever. So generally seven years, but um, uh, you, you may want to hold on to some of your returns even longer than that. Peg, pick if you don't. Uh, that's a great answer. I have nothing to add, but then talk a little bit. Um, and I know we're up against the clock a little bit, but someone asked, you know, about video meeting, video intro, even the exchange of information now. We don't need to be face-to-face -face or have hard copy. This texture, no, um, oh, go ahead. I just want to say, Bruce, oh, a texter said he likes in-person meetings just like you. So. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, so Wealth Enhancement Group and a lot of companies now have what's called a portal. So you're able to download your information into a safe spot with Wealth Enhancement Group. We also do on the video, we can screen share. So if the print, you don't, we don't have to mail you printed copies to follow along. And so the technology is just skyrocketed, you know, over the last couple of years. Yeah, maybe it was all there, but yet we're utilizing it and we're mastering it and clients like it. And Susie, before we, uh, for people that are worried about, you know, the privacy. I, I can't say that you could never be, you know, hacked or, you know, or, or, you know violated, but it, it's as safe doing this through the portal as the U.S. mail or any other way of sharing information. We take every possible precaution and, you know, are any of us truly private anymore or truly protected in today's world? Um, I think we do everything we can, but it's really efficient. Uh, it's, and so, yeah, scanning, uh, sharing information through a portal that's that's the future that's that's now and the future thank you to both of you bruce and peg great show and if you did not get your question answered you can always call one eight 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 six advice or you can email your question right to wealth enhancement at your money at wealth see you next week everyone